Okay, good morning, everyone. How you doing? Oh, come on. How you doing, everyone? You all right? It's, come on, we're in the house of the Lord today, everyone. Just, I'm just channeling my inner Fadi right now, everyone. Okay. I'm sorry, Fadi. You're going to watch that later. Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, I would invite you to open them up this morning to, or turn them on, uh, to Acts chapter 16, uh, verses 6 through 10 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, as a way of introduction to myself, uh, Oksana said that I'm the groups minister of the Church Avenue South. We just broke ground on our new building last week. So yes, that's a win for all of us. Uh, so grateful if you're part of the Pursue campaign for all that you are doing. Uh, this is truly a family win. Um, but as a way of introduction to myself, I do want to throw up a picture real quick because, um, oh, okay, well, there you go. Kind of half of my wife's face there. <laughs> Didn't realize that was going to turn out that way. Uh, well, you see the cute kids there. Uh, you don't need to see me. So, uh, but my wife is on the right here. She's great. Um, <laughs> So, uh, by way of introduction, my wife, uh, her name is Joy, and she's the love of my life. And uh, my son, the guy whose hair looks like it has its own power source, it's so light. Uh, his name is Judah, and he's about to turn three years old. And then our daughter, her name is Adelaide. And we call her Addie, um, and uh, we're just so blessed. Uh, Addie's birthday uh, happened to be on December 26th, which is in and of itself a tough birthday, because I would know it was my birthday. Uh, and uh, I know you're all very sweet to awe and ooh over that. And people have said, hey, Hunter, that's so great. Like, you have your own birthday twin now. And I look at them and I say, well, birthday twin just kind of assumes that my birthday coexists with hers. It really doesn't, right? Like, it's just gone. Like, I no longer have a birthday. I had a good run with it. It's just gone, Right. And that's a, that's a burden that as a dad, I'm willing to bear. Okay. So, Hey, listen, I want to ask a question this morning to kind of get our, uh, our minds thinking. And the question is this is, has there ever been a moment or have there been moments where you knew the Lord was about to change your life? Right? Has there ever been a moment where you knew the Lord was about to change your life? I think of uh, a moment like uh, this for me, uh, July 15th, 2006, I was in Dulles Airport um, coming back from my first ever international mission trip to Sofia, Bulgaria. And I looked out over the tarmac and I saw Lufthansa and Air France and all these different planes. And I, and I, I just knew the Lord was calling me to a life of serving him. I was 15 years old. And, uh, and, and I knew in that moment, and it was confirmed over a few different months, but I knew the Lord was calling me into ministry then. I think about the first time, maybe on a less um, inherently spiritual note, I think about the first time I saw my wife do a, a hair flip. And I said, uh, this is his friends. And I said, Lord, I don't believe in the one, but could she be the one? <laughs> and I'm grateful that the Lord confirmed that she is the one. Uh, and and the, the small moments, right? Not just big ones, but the moments where I felt a prompting. Maybe you have these too to share my faith with someone or the moments where when I'm in God's word and I'm reading it, that there are these moments where the, the pages almost seem to, to just jump right out at me and, and the words kind of hit my heart, uh, calling me to deeper levels of obedience for him. Uh, and I'll never forget getting some of those moments right, but also getting some of those moments wrong and missing them. And thinking back, and maybe you're in the same boat here as well, that there have been times where the Lord has called you into something deeper and you've missed it. 
But you see, friends, the Lord still speaks today. He still speaks, and we are still to respond. Uh, Anytime uh, I read in the pages of Scripture uh, about Jesus talking to his disciples or Jesus giving his disciples commands, I always wish that Jesus would do the same for me. That he'd just sit down on a couch beside me and be like, hey, Hunter, you need to go to Chick-fil-A today because there's somebody there you need to meet, right? And the Lord, I'm just like, Lord, why don't you do that now? But I'm so grateful that Jesus has given his word that's just as powerful now as if he was speaking to us today. You see, the Lord still speaks, and we are to still respond. And that is how God's church, not just this church, but the church of Jesus Christ from all eternity, spanning back from the apostles until he comes home, when we respond, that is how the church moves forward. Indeed, that is how the church multiplies. So if you hear nothing else today, and I pray that you'll hear more, but if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. God is still sending his people, and he's still speaking to his people, because there are still people who need to hear the good news of Jesus. And he's not just doing that for others, but he's sending you, and he's sending me to a world that needs to hear this message and this hope, now more than ever. The question is, how will we respond? So uh, if you were able this morning, I would love for you to stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Acts 16, 6 through 10. In some of your Bibles, it might say the Macedonian call. In mine, it says the evangelization of Europe. They, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, and Luke, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man, a man from Macedonia, was standing and pleading with him. Cross over to Macedonia. Come to us. And help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray right now and ask the Lord to do what only he can do. Change hearts and move us to obedience. Heavenly Father, we give you this today. Uh, There are people in this room who have rolled out of bed on a beautiful Sunday. And that, Lord, for some, is an act of sacrifice. See it, Jesus. For others, there are uh, people here who have been coming to this church or to a church for years and years and years, and it always seems like the message kind of washes over them in a way that it just doesn't sink down deep. I pray today would be different. Lord, move, change, mobilize people for the good of Bellevue, for the good of Middle Tennessee, for the good of the world. We are listening. So speak, Lord. We're here for you. We love you, King Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The first point, if you have, uh, if you're taking notes today, uh, the first point is this. God is sending 
Are you going? God is sending. Are you going? Uh, last week, Fadi in the Jerusalem Council from Acts 15 uh, kind of laid out this picture of a dispute over theology. And uh, as a good old uh, seminary-raised guy myself, uh, I care about theology. And if you've not been to seminary, you should still care about theology. That's important. Uh, because the question that they were trying to work out is this idea of uh, how are we saved? For a Christ follower, that is a question that is of paramount importance. And I love that Acts 15 gives us a resolution. The church, by the Holy Spirit, worked out uh, not only this doctrine, but so many others. Now, Acts 15 is this working out of this theology, and then there's a letter that is being written that's saying, here's what you should do. So there's this kind of discipleship process that is going on. But I love here what happens next in Acts 16. You see, a right decision on doctrine led to deployment for the disciples. They immediately sent out Paul to proclaim that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and nothing else. They didn't sit around uh, high-fiving themselves for getting theology right, because honestly, you don't do theology right if that does not change the way that you live. I had a seminary professor who said that theology is meant to hit your head, go down to your heart, to change uh, and, and to move out to your hands in order to transform your habitat. So head, heart, hands, habitat. If we are just allowing the things of God to stick up here, then we can become legalist very quickly. And so they said, man, we got this right. We've got this church doctrine right. Let us then do something about it. You see, a right knowledge of God will always lead to a going and a proclaiming life. So Christian, who has been here year after year, does your life look different now than it did five years ago, six years ago? Is Jesus actually changing the way that you live? Are you surrendering your life to him? Now, for some of us, we hear this idea of going, and we think to ourselves, man, we're, I'm not called to the mission field. And indeed, you might not be. I think most people are not called to give up their lives to go overseas. Probably more people are called than actually go, but not everybody is called to do that, right? Like, so that's, that's the truth. But this term going, when we are talking about biblically, doesn't mean that you are geographically uh, going somewhere necessarily. But it is a heart posture that says, Lord, wherever I am and wherever I go, you have sent me there. So it's this recognition that your work, you are not just accidentally going there or you're not going there just to make a living. You are being sent there. Do you see the active versus passive part of that? That a sent life realizes that even mundane, ordinary things have spiritual implications. Going to the grocery store, right? Going to, if you have kids and you go to the playground, right? If you go to the ball field, if you go to a restaurant, you are there because the Lord has sent you. Matthew 28, 18, you know it. It's the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. In Greek, actually what's happening there is um, a better rendition of that is as you are going, 
There's never been a thought in the Christian life that there would be some Christians who are sent and other Christians who are staying at home. Or uh, some Christians who are sent and other Christians who just kind of support the sentness. It's all meant to be a sent life. Whether you reside in this zip code and live and work in this zip code or you go overseas. God is calling you. The question is, are you realizing that? Because I'm afraid that we look at people like Paul and think that Paul on this journey, he's going to all these different towns. We don't know where they are. It's kind of abstract concept. We're like, Phrygia, is that like a town in Arkansas? Because maybe I passed through there one time. I don't think so, right? We, we think, okay, Paul's going to the exotic places and I'm just me. But the patterns of Paul's life, surrender and dependence, is one that is meant to be imitated by all believers, Everywhere, at all times. You see, God is ascending God. And in our story, Paul, Timothy, Silas, Luke are living their lives in anticipation that God has sent them. Friends, what would be different about your life if your default posture was go? I work with a lot of like college students and we're trying to mobilize college students. In about a week, I'm taking 10 uh, our churches to Vancouver, Canada to support Mac and Grace Johnson who are global workers of ours. And um, I will never forget texting somebody being like, hey, like, man, I would love if you went on this trip. And I'll never forget the text I got back was, hey, that sounds cool. I'll think about praying about going. Was literally their text. Okay, so you're not going to pray about going. You'll think about praying about going. Okay. I think it's interesting that most of us have a default posture of stay until we get the green light that God has said to go. When, we are, when the Bible is filled with pages of scripture, that God's default is for us to go until he gives a special reason for us to stay. The default posture is green light go. I'm teaching my son right right now. He got mad at me because I went through a little bit of a yellow light the other day. He said, daddy, stop. It's yellow. Green light is go. And that's what we have. What would it look like friends for you to wake up every day? And the first thought on our mind is not what is social media saying, but what is God saying to me? God has a mission for me today. God, I'm going to do everything I can to respond to your promptings today. Jesus in John 4, 35 says, don't you say there are still four more months. He's talking to this agrarian cultivating farming society. He said, don't you all say that there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I am telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready right now for harvest. There's not one more Bible study that's going to give you the courage to go. There's not one more thing, one more this, one more year. It is a now. Yes, Lord, I will go now. The time for waiting, friends, is done. A church like this can set uh, our city on fire for Christ because the Holy Spirit is here. And that same Holy Spirit raised Christ from the dead is in you. And if you're not a believer here, I want to invite you to see what a church mobilized can be, a force for good for our world and its flourishing. God has given you, Christian, believer, friend, everything that you need to be on, with, to be on mission with him right now. So 
the second point here is that not only are we called to go, but we're also called to listen. Why? Because God speaks. God is speaking, friends. Are you listening? Notice back in our text, if you would look back with me, uh, in verse 6, they went throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They've been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Phrygia and uh, Galatia are all the way closer towards the east side of the Asian continent. And so they were over that way, or at least what they knew to be the Asian continent. So they're going over that way. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit gives them the stop. This has to be the world's worst case of, are we there yet? Anybody ever heard that before? Are we there yet? This has to be the worst case, right? Phrygia, no. Galatia, no. Okay, mom, dad, are we almost there? Misha, no. Bithynia, no, right? No, no, no. And it had to be infuriating for Paul and his band of uh, believers because multiple times they're willing to go and the Holy Spirit has said what? No. Now it's fascinating. If you're on a journey, you would think God would always be saying yes. You think God would always be given, oh man, you're going, yes. For these believers, they heard no more than they heard yes. But the fascinating thing about all this is that their willingness to go uh, to these locations in the first place, just their willingness to live a sent life in the first place, got them geographically closer to God's yes. They were able to get to God's yes via the route of God's no's. Now, in a room this size, and I want to be very, like, uh, pastoral here. Because in a room this size, some of us have had doors shut in our face time and time again. Uh, That God has given us dreams. And for some reason, and it might not have anything to do with you and your character or you and whatever, but for some reason... It's just a no. God is speaking, but not in the way that we want him to. And no one can understand that pain because there is so much pain in the waiting, isn't there? And there's so much unknown in the waiting. And I'm, that's why I'm grateful that the Lord is not like a vending machine dropping down blessings to us. That he's actually the shepherd that walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. That the Lord is not somebody who's just a genie in the bottle. That we rub the lamp and then out pops a wish. Because that's not real life. Real life is a shepherd who says, wherever you go, I go. I walk with you, in front of you, behind you, beside you. And so I just want to say I am sorry. And no one can give you, it's possible that no one can give you the reason why you were hearing a no or a wait. But to zoom out, and again, this is why sermons are not the whole point of a Christian life. You need a group of people to walk alongside of you. But here is the truth. Is it possible that God's no's in your life are getting you spiritually closer to God's yes. Now, I don't want to go off on some sort of like prosperity gospel, like you just hold on and then a $10,000 check is going to drop into your mailbox. I'm not saying that. 
But is it possible that God's yes is meant to set you on mission, to flourish in a way that God has designed you for his name and his renown? I think of all the times where I have prayed very fervently for something, and I'm so grateful now on this side of it that the Lord did not answer. Anybody else that, in that way? God answers prayers with yes, no, or wait. And you might be in that wait season. So I don't know what you are waiting for or how many times you have been denied, but I do know that God has this. He has, a, he has a mission for you. Is there a family member who doesn't know Jesus and you're waiting for them to know the Lord? Is there a talent or a passion that you are trying to use and it just is not happening? Is there a relationship that is in disrepair that you want mended and for some reason it's fractured? Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. Second Peter 3, 9, talking about uh, the delay of the Lord. Anybody here ever say, Lord Jesus, just come on back and make all things new. He says this, the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. It, in this world, look, if I text my wife and she doesn't text me back in two seconds, she either hates me or she's dead, right? Like, it's the, that's the world we live in. If I can't microwave this thing, why even, why even bother having it? God's mode of communication seems outdated. But God's knows and his weights aren't cruel. Again, pastorally and tenderly, if he knows all things is all-powerful and is good. You see, um, we don't know, because there are people in Phrygia. There are people in Galatia. There are people in Maesha. There are people in Troas who needed to know the Lord. So we don't know why the Lord would not allow Paul to speak the gospel there. But what we do know is that God's yes led to the first time ever that the gospel came to the continent of Europe. Uh, friends, most of us here, a lot of us here are from places that would be affected by this, European continents. And whether you are or not uh, from Europe, missionaries went all throughout Africa and South America and Asia and to all the world. We have a direct spiritual lineage through this yes just another chapter later, we're going to see um, Lydia put her trust in Jesus. She was the first European convert. So God's yes for you might not lead to the evangelization of an entire continent, but I promise that the yes is coming, whether here or on earth or when all things are made new in eternity. Friends, God is speaking. Are you listening? And maybe more pastorally, do you have the courage and the community to hold on to when you can't see the promise to hold on to God's character that he is better, that he is good, and that he is for you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Okay, let's look back together uh, at our text. Acts 16. We finally get a yes. Verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him. 
Uh, we think this vision, obviously, if it's at night, probably was a dream. Paul's asleep. All of a sudden, this man comes. He knows he's from Macedonia. And he says, cross over to Macedonia. It would be modern-day Greece and Macedonia. They were kind of connected there. Uh, this would have been a kind of a gateway to Rome. And he says, cross over. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Um, I want, my son, Judah, is three years old, which means he's just old enough to know that he wants something, but he's not old enough to really be able to get it yet, you know, which means that my house is in constant disarray and things are broken and chalk is everywhere and, uh, wrap, you know, candy wrappers are everywhere. And, but I love it. He, he comes up to me and, uh, I love it probably the first or second time. Then by the third time, I'm like, I don't love this as much anymore, but he comes up to me. He goes, daddy, 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 help me. And I'm like, Okay, you know, this is me in my glorified, sanctified state. I've not yet lost my temper for the 15th time. And uh, he says, help me. And I'm like, all right, Judah, what do you want? He goes, I want water. And I'm like, well, that's a healthy choice. You know, we're not drinking juice or whatever. I don't know. Okay, all right, cool. So we go over to the refrigerator and, and I get his bottle and I give him some water and he takes it and he drinks it. And you know, in that moment, what I think, bro, I paid the water bill for you to have that water. Like I felt like a sense of pride, right? Maybe I don't know if that's selfish or not, or maybe it makes me weird, right? That I'm thinking about the water bill as it relates to my son's hydration. But I'm like, man, I helped you to flourish. Like I feel so good that like, you know, the Bible talks about like, you know, who uh, would give their child uh, a scorpion if they ask for a fish, right? I'm not giving you no scorpion. I'm giving you water. And that thing even has a filter that I bought from Lowe's in it, right? Like I, I got you the water, and, and I think we're meant to kind of have that delight when it comes to sharing our faith, that the world is saying, help me. The world is saying and is spinning out of control. Right now, I don't actually think there's been an easier time to be a Christian in the United States than right now. All we have to do is not post jerky things on Facebook, and we're already going to be different. And the world might not even know that they uh, are, are supposed to ask the questions, and maybe we shouldn't expect them to. Because we have this gospel hope. But the world is saying, uh, the, the, the warning light is coming on in the world, and it's blinking fast, and it's saying, help me. And I think there's meant to be this joy and this delight in the idea that not a prideful thing, but in saying, I once was in need and Jesus found me. Let me take you to him who has brought me joy and delight. Not in a political way, not in some sort of like scandalous way, just in a way of saying, I once was thirsty. I said, help me. My father helped me. I'm just a person who wants to show you where the water is. Friends, there's this idea that like, oh, if I go to share Jesus with other people, it's going to be awful. I'm probably going to lose a friendship. It's going to be terrible. What if it could be good? What if it could be delightful? I love Paul's response. What does he say in verse 10? We immediately, he had this vision. He knew God was calling him. He didn't say, let me go settle my accounts. He didn't say, well, hey, you know, I've got a, uh, uh, I've got, um, a garage sale next weekend. I got to do that. Or, hey, you know, my house, I really like my house. I spent a lot of money uh, getting all this kind of stuff. I'm just, let me wait. They immediately went to make efforts to set out for Macedonia. Paul was absolutely convinced that he was sent that he heard God's voice and that he knew that whoever this man was or the people that he represented needed Jesus. Now, here's kind of where we're going to land today. 
Um, Paul was living a life. And I'll go ahead and actually invite the, the band to come back up. Paul was, and they're going to be moving on the stage. I promise you they're not interesting. Just like stay right here, okay? Uh, Paul was living a life that was sent already. He wasn't reinventing the wheel. Have you ever heard a body that stays, or that uh, is in motion, stays in motion? Paul's life was just postured for whenever the Lord called, he would go. Friends, uh, some diagnostic questions. So you're not, we're not just passive spectators, uh, but we are active participants today. Let me ask you these questions here. Um, are we going to a lost and searching world? Maybe more practically, is your calendar so booked tight that if somebody needed 15 minutes of your time for help, that you would have to push them off three or four days? Or are you leaving room in your life for divine interruptions of come over and help me? Um, The Bible says that where a man's treasure is, there his heart is. I would say in the 21st century, we can adapt that, not take away from it, but we can maybe put a little addendum there. Where a person's calendar is, there their heart is. Um. How is the world to hear the name of Jesus when no one has told them? We have the hope that the world is looking for and people are begging for help. Are we so focused on our needs that we don't realize that the things that make up those needs are just means to an end by which God is saying, I want you to show my glory. I want you to be my ambassador in this world. So maybe the question for us today, are you convinced that this world needs Jesus more than anything? Are you convinced that the good life is not just the American dream? Because gosh, that's been proven to overpromise and underdeliver every time. But are you settled that when the world comes to you, that when a friend comes to you, that when a neighbor comes to you, that when somebody unexpected comes to you and says, help me, and whatever words they use that phrase, help me, that you are ready to preach the gospel, not like this, but to Tell what God has done for you, whether it's a good season or a bad. Friends, God is speaking. Are you listening? God is sending. Are you going? And people need help. Are you convinced? So King Jesus, today, we draw forth your name. And we proclaim your name to a lost, to a searching world that is saying, I don't know which way is up. I don't know which way is down. And we have a hope that is fixed. We're not against the world. We we want the world to flourish. We we know that you've created this world to flourish in your kingdom, in your way. We want the Garden of Eden again, Lord. But until we get that day when we see you face to face and you wipe away every tear from our eyes, I pray, King Jesus, 
that we would go. That we wouldn't lose heart, but that we would say our marching orders are from on high. Here I am, Lord. Send me. We love you, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen.